Welcome to The Lens with me, Ollie Barrett. The Lens is a business and the community podcast powered by Fujitsu and supported by McCann. My guests today are Penny James, Chief Executive of Direct Line Group, and Ivan Kaima, Founder and Chief Executive of collaborative community Spieler. We'll explore the surprising power of vulnerability, how sharing something about your own journey or life can unlock a different level of trust. We talk about resilience, how to empower people to respond to change. And we'll hear how the right mentors can change your life and how to find them. Let's get to the conversation. Penny, Ivan, welcome. Hi. Thanks, Ollie. Great to be here. Now, because it's 2020, I feel I have to just double check whether you're at home or in the office today. Ivan, where do we find you? I am live and direct at home. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Penny. Yep, you find me at home in Hampshire. Well, at home in Hampshire, at the controls of an organisation employing over 10,500 employees, direct line, insurance, lots of recognisable brands under that needs very little introduction. But Penny, I'll start with you. Take us all the way back. Where did your own journey start? What was your first ever job? I went to university and then I uh, didn't know what to do at all with my life. So I did what all people who don't really know what to do, do. I became an accountant. So I joined an audit firm. And actually, the one thing that let me really do was look around and explore different businesses. And it's in doing that that I discovered insurance. And whilst nobody in the world gets out of bed dreaming of being an insurance CEO, actually, I found it the most amazing place to meet incredible people over the years. Uh, So I've been in insurance for 25 years now. So 25 years, you joke about dreaming of being a CEO, but to what extent was that part of the plan? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, when I originally did accountancy, it was uh, one of the reasons was I was looking for jobs that would let me be a work from home mother for a number of years and give me flexibility. But really, the progress has been a little bit of fortune. So people looking out for me, having someone, a mentor or a guide, whether you're aware of it or not, that can plot your route a little bit in those early years is really, really helpful. And it's only in the last four or five years when I've gone, actually, now I really want to lead a business. Interesting. And on competitive instincts, say a bit more about that, competing with who, with what? You only want to be beaten by someone who's actually better than you. So everybody should bottle a little bit is that force that says, actually, I know I can do it as well as that person. I should have the opportunity to move ahead. And that little bit has always moved me up and made me a bit curious about what's next. And a little bit of, I get bored. If I stay in the same place and don't do, do the same thing repeatedly, I get bored. So evolving what I do over time has always been really important. Well, you've certainly got a huge amount to keep you occupied at the moment. It encompasses many different brands. You're processing pretty much a claim a minute, uh, as far as I can tell. Tell us a bit more. Sure. And we're one of the biggest insurers of kind of people, so home insurance and motor insurance in the country. So you might recognise us as Direct Line or as Churchill or as Privilege. But also we have a rescue business. So Green Flag is part of our group. Um, And as you say there, rescuing people off the side of the road every 47 seconds. So an amazing breadth. We have 10,000 amazing people in our offices and another 14 or 100 or so who actually mend cars. So through COVID, we've flown 800 people home from different parts of the world, some of them very poorly, uh, some of them just stranded. So, you know, through different quarantine and isolation zones, working with the Foreign Office, or we could be mending someone's roof. 
you know, but above all, direct line is a people business. It's full of people who really love people and love customers. And that's what makes it sing. And when you stepped into the chief exec role, it could have been tempting to continue doing what the company had been doing. You chose to set a new vision and purpose for the group. Just remind us what it was and why you wanted to do that. So we set a vision and purpose and our vision is of insurance as a force for good. And our purpose is about giving people peace of mind now and in the future. And we took about unbelievably six months getting to that point because what we felt the organization needed to do was coalesce around something. And it has very, very strong intrinsic values. As I say, very much about people and customer. And we wanted to harness that and set ourselves uh, uh, something that people could align behind and come into work behind. Little did we know that we were about to head into a COVID crisis. And what we found is those words have just sprung to life through that period. And I think it's enabled us to make what would have been quite challenging decisions between our stakeholders actually much more straightforwardly. Fundamentally, you know, I believe you, you need a vision and a purpose of some, uh, some description that helps you balance the fact that we are part of a broader society. So it's not just our shareholders that we're looking out for. To be sustainable, we need to look out for our customers, our suppliers, our own people, the communities around us, and frankly, the broader planet. And so that was really put into test coming into COVID. And what we found is our people really rose to that challenge. And we work with our local communities and so on in a way that I'm not sure that we would have done if we hadn't given ourselves that focal point. Yeah, I'm very interested in what you've said there about how a renewed clarity of vision and purpose makes those decision making moments a bit easier. Just say a bit more about why that is in practice. And I don't know if an example could come to mind, but I find it very, very engaging as an idea. Well, I think a couple of things. One is businesses have a habit of making kind of data rational decisions. And data rational decisions tend to be very numerical. They tend to be, whereas actually some of these things are much more about a broader judgment and a broader sense of what you're trying to achieve. And so I would say two things. The first thing is if you can set a vision and a purpose and an idea of what we're all trying to achieve, you know, behind that we have a strategy as as well that we try and articulate as best we can with our people, then it empowers people to make judgment calls within that. And it empowers them to come to you or to just get on with it themselves and say, actually, right now, the most important thing is that I spend, you know, $200,000 getting someone back from wherever it may be. Yeah. Or right now, the right call is to help someone with their payment schedule because they're clearly having issues. And there are lots and lots and lots of decisions that happen at ground level that don't need to come all the way up the organization to someone like me, that I think it helps people be much more courageous about those things. And then in terms of big decisions, in the very first weeks of lockdown, we put 3.1 million into charity working with the local communities. And normally that would be something that we consider for a long length of time and so on and so forth. And we said, no, actually the government is getting its act together, but it's still trying to put processes in place and wheels in place. But I know uh, we have 3,000 people in Leeds, for instance. I know that Leeds City Council are going to know where they've got problems on the ground. So let's just speak to them and get some money to the people who really need it at that point. How would you say, Penny, that your leadership style has evolved 
over the year or so that you've been in post. It's been a deeply unusual year. What's your reflection? I guess I've always had a fundamental belief that you have to be yourself. And why do I mean that? You know, as a CEO, you can do things that make people people feel great, but sometimes you're going to have to do things that people are not going to instinctively either understand all the ins and outs of or necessarily believe in you. So having um, kind of trust with your people is really, really important. So from the word go, I've always tried to kind of share, share a little of me in the hope that I can build that trust up over time. And then what we saw coming into this year is the need to communicate with people goes up exponentially. When people are frightened, uncertain, scared, and for all sorts of good reasons, the messages coming from the authorities are, are varied and conflicting because it's a complicated set of circumstances. What you can do as a leader is try and say, well, what matters to us is this. Yeah. Penny, briefly, on that first point of showing them a little more of you, are you talking about, I'm being facetious, hobbies and interests? Or you seem to be suggesting something more about vulnerability there. I just want to explore it. No, I, I think vulnerability is really important. If people are going to relate to you, they need to know that you're a human and humans get things right and humans get things wrong. I'm, and I'm happy to admit that I don't have all the answers because my job is really to create an environment where other people can thrive and, and develop those answers. So I'm quite happy to share those things. So I tend to share some sense of how I'm feeling when I talk to people, because actually how they're feeling really matters as well. And I hope that they will be able to share with one another how they're feeling. And I hope through that course, and I think we've moved a long way down this path, that when I talk to people and ask them what matters, that they will tell me the truth yeah. and feel open enough to tell me the truth, because only that way can I do anything about it if something needs to be addressed. Yeah, and I can absolutely see how that unlocks such honesty and candour in, in your colleagues. Penny, stay with us because next to you is somebody who I know enjoys creating the conditions for people to collaborate. Ivan Kaima, welcome to The Lens. Thank you very much, Ollie. Thank you for having me. And that was great, Penny, to hear as well. Lovely to hear your insights. <laughs> well, I want to hear your questions for each other shortly. Ivan, um, an extraordinary journey. Take us back to your first ever job. Where did you get started? Okay, so for me, my first ever job, right fresh off of university, I was working for free uh, for expenses at Rainmaking Loft. For me, that was kind of my first experience into entrepreneurialism and business as I was an assistant general manager. So that meant kind of looking after the space, making sure I was kind of collaborating and meeting and talking to so many different startups and helping them with their events. And did you know before that, Ivan, that you enjoyed being surrounded by people? Was that already following what you found? being a oh, passion or yeah from young I've always been interested I've always liked being around people you know it, it kind of leads me on for my sports my faith in church and just lots of different experiences I had in my life where you know being around people always seems to invigorate me and empower me and I feel like I'm the kind of person that I like being around motivated people I like helping others help motivate others as well and so yeah this was kind of seamless when I stepped into it can we go back um before those early steps in the business world Ivan you're such a positive person I suspect that the path hasn't always been smooth on that journey. Just just take us back a bit further. Nah, nah, no, actually not. You're right. Uh, growing up, we were actually homeless for the first four years of my life. There were seven of us in a two-bedroom house in a very rundown environment called Norfolk Towers, which is a very, very infamous estate. And um, I lost my dad and my brother also at a very young age. And so that kind of derailed my 
experience from uh, being a nice, humble, you know, fun-loving kid to kind of, I guess, a bit of my innocence being taken away in that regard. Um, I started viewing the world in a negative place. I started exuding that. And it only really was because of the support of others around me, um, support of my family, friends, and kind of going through bad experiences that taught me what I wanted out of life and what is worth and what isn't. And I don't wish to dwell on it, Ivan, but just to understand where some of those negative emotions were taking you, um, was that more mentally challenging? Did it express in your activities at the time? And what 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 happened? What could have happened, if I can put it so bluntly? So for me, what happened was I it was coming out mentally, my emotions. I was so angry. And so, you know, when you're young and looking for something, you, you know, you look for it in the wrong places. But in your mind, you just see it as, well, I'm getting what I'm looking for mentally from these groups and from these spaces and from these people. So you don't know any better. But then as you grow older, as experiences happen and occur in life, you become more thankful for things and you become thankful for your situations. And you begin to lean more on those that have always been with you and have always loved you and have always supported you. Thank goodness you created Spieler and it is a community. Tell us a bit more about it, but also why Spieler? Why was it something you wanted to do when it's so relatively easy to join something as opposed to create it? People need to understand you can't just group a certain amount of people into one space and think everybody fits. Everybody's different. And for me, um, example was I was quite bad when I was younger. However, my teachers always knew I was good at computers. I was always good at science. And, you know, um, I was always kind of good at certain things that I didn't really care about. And it really was until uh, I got that kind of one-to-one care and attention from a, from a type of person, I realized, you know, everybody, everybody can be in the same place, but not everybody's journey is the same. And so for me, I was very, 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 very fortunate um, to get a private scholarship to a sixth form. And that that's what changed my whole outlook on life. And that's what gave me perspective. I was so used to being in a bad area all my life that when I start, suddenly went into a good environment, very safe environment, that allowed me to, I guess, grow and that allowed me to unlock a lot of my potential. And so from then on, as I continue to progress, go to university, graduate, go to business school, in back of my mind, I was always thinking my community. If if it wasn't for them, if it wasn't for the experiences I went through, if it wasn't for their love and support and the free services I got, I wouldn't be here where I am now. So I became dead set obsessed in terms of giving back to my community and in a way to thank them, thank my community for never giving up on me. And I want to make sure that I don't ever give up on people that need it. And that's how Speedo was born, ultimately a community to, to pull people in the right direction. And really the main ethos of Speedo is growth. Someone can go from one place to another and have the right means of support. And if you give that person the right means of support, they can truly become the best version of themselves. So that's how that kind of was born. Yeah, and it's a fascinating network. I mean, to what extent is it a business network? What are the outcomes that you notice people are driving towards? So we partner with Student Room, with Facebook, Microsoft, Cisco. So we've kind of collaborated with them on events that will teach business skills, business workshops, get kids into IT, tech, you know, creatives, really give young people the ability to grow and learn and to to build, especially with COVID and the time we're living in. People are going to have to learn how to create and build jobs. And so we're dead set on being able to create those opportunities for people because the place where I'm from, people who grew up like me, they don't have that access and I'm lucky to receive that access. So hey, how do I give back that access to people so that they can go along their way to being the best that they can be? You will find the very best people in these kind of poor environments. There's so much talent, so much talent there. So we want to unlock that. When you think back to the Ivan Kaima growing up in the conditions you've described, getting feedback from a different type of male role model, to what extent do you think of that as a different person? All my kind of influence and disciplinary 
I guess, um, enforcer was my mother and women. So you're, you grow to be a lot more respectful towards women's views and points <laughs> because that's what you're used to. So initially I didn't have that kind of male influence. So therefore I didn't respect most male's opinions. I kind of had my own definition of what a man should be and how a man should grow and, uh, you know, not needing anyone and just trying to do it myself. But I realized that's not the case. And having a male influence um, and getting one really did change my whole outlook and it just allowed me to see two different sides of things and allowed me to, I guess, have more of a clear view on most decision-making and most actions I take. What I'm particularly interested in is you choose to talk about some of the turning points in your life. Other people ask you about it. And I'm just trying to understand because it would be utterly understandable to close a door on that and to say that was a different person and I don't wish to revisit it. Mm. Or there may be some benefit or strength in doing just that, in revisiting that. Yeah, I mean, for me, I definitely wasn't a saint. <laughs> However, those experiences have led me to becoming the man I am now. I'm very thankful for all the trials and tribulations, the heartache, the great stuff that's happened in my life because it's led me to be who I am, to give me the skills who I am now, to have the drive, the purpose and motivation and the reasoning. And so whenever I need that kind of um, boost again to kind of remember why I'm doing this, I always look back to that person who was there and who he is now. Yeah. No, that's fascinating. Well, listening to your story is Penny, Penny James. Penny, um, what question would you ask Ivan? We've heard about Spieler, about some of what led him to create it. What do you, what do you want to ask? Firstly, thank you, because that's just completely inspirational. So um, uh, what an extraordinary story and what amazing energy you bring to it as well. Thank you. Um, if I look at my young self or I look at my daughter or I look at lots of the young people that I deal with, the most striking thing is kind of a lack of confidence and self-belief. And when I look at and listen to Ivan now, to step out on your own and lead a business, a community, to lead anything actually, requires the courage to do something and being kind of relaxed with things not working and people judging you for that. And if I could give one thing to young people, it would be, you know, just don't worry about it. Just take a bit of a risk. I was going to ask you is sometimes you must get out of the bed in the morning, because I know I do, going back in somewhere in that negative world because stuff happens. How do you pull yourself out of that? I walk into your virtual office with that great smile on your face because you've got to motivate a load of other people. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And, you know, you're right. You do have those days where you wake up and it's like, uh, you know, dull and drab and just so much negativity surrounding you. And especially during the times we're living in now, during COVID, and it's, it's even tougher. But then you wake up and remember that this is not about me. I represent is hundreds and hundreds of people who've come from the similar walks of life that I did. You remember that this is bigger than you. And when you remember that and have that, you know, I'm no greater than this, I'm trying to serve this, this is all about self-service, you remember that, okay, I can't give up because so-and-so is counting on me. And so so feel how I feel but can't express it or have the opportunities to express it the way I can or the way I'm able to. I'm representing people that look like me, uh, people that want to do good as well, want to change, want to be better, want to be the best version that they can. And using that is really what motivates me and keeps my passion alive, knowing that we're helping people and people are genuinely becoming better people from this. And so that is, for me, is a wonderful motivator. Well, thank you, because I will take that and bottle that, because that will help me. <laughs> Ivan, I'm keen to know your question for Penny. But first, Penny, what would be your answer to your own question? I think my overriding answer is actually something Ivan said earlier. I get my energy from people. And you don't get many chances in life to make a difference. And, you know, if you're in a role like this, you have got a chance to make a difference. 
So if I'm on a low, I tend to try and make sure I meet someone or see someone or talk to someone who's just in a slightly different space, who's not someone that I deal with day in, day out with. One of the teams, yeah. someone out there, someone like Ivan. It's a great answer. Ivan, let's uh, let's throw another question over to Penny. What, uh, what would you like to ask? Yeah, sure. Penny, firstly, congratulations on all your success. And, you know, you really have shown that time and dedication to something really does allow you to get to, I guess, the highest level that you possibly can do within a particular role, right? And so we're very, very big on women in tech, women empowerment, women getting into stronger positions and having more representation of women in higher positions. How has that journey been for yourself and how have you managed to, I guess, overcome some of the obstacles in your way? Great question. I mean, it's been an extraordinary journey. And I and for much of it, I was, I think, blind to the fact that there are barriers in your way. And it's only as you start looking back, you start to understand which ones were barriers and which ones weren't. And I kind of categorize it in two or three areas, I think. There are the barriers that women kind of put in front of themselves because socially that's kind of become acceptable practice. So I'd support a woman if she wants to be a mum at home or she wants to work full time, whatever her her set of circumstances. But what I would say is make sure you make those choices consciously, not because somebody thinks it's an expectation of you because it's what's happened before. So there are some things around confidence and self-belief that I try and encourage women to challenge on their own. There are largely a set of social expectations that start at, frankly, primary school or probably pre that age, that as a society, we just have to address. There are some very, very basic things that build up over the years that set expectations. So I would love every woman to be leaving school and challenging themselves on what kind of life that they want and how they can balance it, because these days, anything, anything is possible. And then there's some really structural things that businesses and and governments have to do to support that trend, uh, because like any area where you've got inequality, you need to put some hard coding in to help along the way as well to try and eliminate some of the biases that, that are really there. And that may be HR policies in a company, or it may be pushing particular education programs and so on. I was blessed in my early years, which I look back on, that people spotted there was talent in me, just like you are going out spotting that in other people. And they didn't tell me as much, but they made sure there were some opportunities floating in front of me at different points in time. And it was probably 10 years before I realized that wasn't just an accident. So I would be encouraging anybody who's listening to be looking out for those people, whatever their background, you know, whatever their gender, uh, you know, whatever their ethnicity, doesn't really matter. But looking out for those people who need just a little bit of a prompt in those early years, because once you get a taste for it, then then you'll start to pull down on it. Yeah. Excellent advice. And I'm going to ask you both the same question. Somebody listening to this might think, listening to Penny and Ivan, I think I might need an additional mentor in my life. But to be perfectly honest, I don't know where to start. Ivan, what do you say to them? And then Penny. Find somebody that resonates with you the most, someone that actually understands you and what you are trying to say and what you are trying to achieve. A mentor is a guide, a mentor is a friend, and a mentor is a kick up the butt when you need it. Be courageous and brave and reach out. That's the first big step in regards to growth and becoming the best person you can be. So look into your network first. And if that doesn't work out, um, tap into local organizations, councils, groups who are able to match you with the right person. 
because the mentor is the difference between you becoming good and becoming truly great and really excelling at the things you want to do. So that's what I'd say. This is great advice. Penny, what would you add to that? I would say two things. One is bottle that word courage because the risk the risk is really low. People fear the risk of rejection, whether it's going for jobs, opportunities, asking for help. And the reality is it's just kind of a false pretense that what is the risk of a no really? It's just a nothing. Yeah. Uh, so that would be my first thing is just reach out. The second thing is people tend to think they need to know someone who is brilliant, has great experience, and is the CEO of this or a, a something of that. The reality is you need someone who's just going to push you outside your comfort zones. Because once you do that, you will start to look for where you can get help and you'll start to explore things and you'll start to take risks. So it's more important that they push you than they have this big bank of experience or they have all this network and contact. Thank you. I've got some quick fire questions for you. Uh, Before I ask them, Penny, I want to get quite practical. We've talked a lot about the overall mindset of an organisation, but I just wonder what that looks like in practical terms, empowering teams to respond to change. I guess this is part of a resilience conversation. What, What do you do? What do you see in practice? When I joined the organization, um, it had lots of brilliant characteristics, but people were afraid to take decisions. And you end up with rooms full of 30 people delegating decisions to a committee or a process. And in a world that is digital, fast moving, you can't predict what's happening externally. You just need people to get on with it. So we are on our journey ourselves trying to reset some of those behaviors. And we do two or three things. One is we're really clear on the behaviors that we look for curiosity, being clear what outcomes you're gunning for, trusting one another, trying to keep things simple, for example. The second thing I do a lot of now is talk to people about what we're trying to achieve. Someone said to me the other day, why don't you say more? And I say, well, uh, isn't it blindingly obvious? And they go, well, why would it be blindingly obvious if you haven't told them? So I do a lot of this is where we're trying to go. This is what we're trying to achieve work out what it is that you do within that and push forward. And the other thing that we're trying to do a lot more of um, is celebrating the fact that sometimes small stuff goes wrong and it doesn't matter because that's part of working out whether you get better. Rather than smacking people around the head because they've made a mistake, uh, celebrate the fact that they tried something. Test, learn and adapt. So we have a long way to go, but it's a great learning curve for all of us. Great. No, that makes perfect sense. Uh, Ivan, a very brief question for you. Somebody sitting here might feel I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter and TikTok and Facebook. I feel a bit networked out. You know, why am I joining something else? And I just want to remind people from your perspective, this isn't a question about Spieler per se, but what is really at the core of joining a great network? What's in it? For them, people are busy, in some cases, exhausted, right? As humans, we're pack creatures. We all all want to belong. We all want to feel part of something great. And so joining the great work, you have to see its vision and its movement and where it's going. I believe that that should ease your decision-making into why you should join a a great network. And again, throwing it back into Speeder a little bit, I'll definitely say for us, (laughs) we're a network that's moving towards a better progressive future. And so, you know, if you want to be a part of that, look no further. (laughs) Now, that's very powerful. Out of interest, Penny, where do you find your tribe? I mean, clearly friends, colleagues internally through direct line group, but the old saying goes, it can be lonely at the top. Do you have a tribe? I've always had 
someone internally wherever I work that I trust implicitly and someone that uh, probably several people that will kick me as well as smile at me. And finding those people is really, really important. When you get to CEO, something very strange happens. Those relationships change and you might not change, but it, it, the, the nature of your relationship has changed and you can't help that. So after about three months in a row, I suddenly realized why CEOs talk to one another. I thought it was some grand network of, you know, actually it's just they're the only other people that experience exactly what you're experiencing. And what I found is uh, there is a sort of small group of people who you can bounce stuff around or who understand kind of what it feels like. In particular, going through a crisis like we've you know, been going through, those groups have been really powerful because they've been able to share ideas, but also they're just, you know, they just get it. Yeah. And I don't think I'd be doing my job if I didn't say that one of the most powerful networks I have ever encountered is business in the community itself, the Prince's Responsible Business Network. So Absolutely. all power uh, to colleagues uh, powering that particular network. Now for my quick fire questions. The first question is somebody you'd like to meet for a coffee, maybe for half an hour. They have to be alive. You'd like to meet them because they inspire you, they interest you. I would say the Queen, and it's not particularly a royal or not or a thing. It's just what an extraordinary life, the people she has met, the things that she has seen, the history that she has seen rotate, rotate through. How fascinating to hear in, a, in an unguarded form what she thinks. Well, of course, we're imagining a world in which those answers would be unguarded, which may be wishful thinking, but it's 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 an amazing thought, isn't it? Great choice. Ivan, who would you have coffee with? Oh, that's the easy one. Jay-Z. Uh, for me, I would definitely want to go meet Jay-Z. Uh, he's someone that he's the definition of the dream. Somebody that came from absolute bottom to ascend to the highest peak of his powers right now. And so just to pick his brain, understands the things that he knows, how how he navigated and moved through so many, so many obstacles to get to where he is now. And he's someone that looks like me as well. Yeah. So Jay-Z, I mean, I think of him as a musician, also an entrepreneur. Mm, very powerful entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah. Great choice. How about a book that you recommend? It doesn't have to be a business book, by the way. Ivan, anything coming to mind? Anything on the bookshelf? Ah, I've got quite a lot of books. <laughs> um, one, this one's more about mindfulness, and which I've read, The Kabbalion. So it's kind of an old kind of mystic kind of book in terms of energy transference and how to shift and apply your mindset within any single situation you're going through. And whenever we experience kind of phenomena or, or things in life that doesn't necessarily make sense to us through our eyes, the book explains how the mind and the thought process works, and how energy kind of puts that all together and how the universe kind of leads you to where you are now. Yeah, brilliant. We will link to all of these in the notes. Penny, what's on your bookshelf? Oh, that's a bit more challenging. I'm going to go at the other end of the spectrum. I'm going to go for Winnie the Pooh. Um, Great. <laughs> it's one of my observations in life. If I, I find I didn't do Winnie the Pooh as a kid particularly, but when my daughter was young, what I realised was it was full of philosophy underneath. And there's a great quote, which I will sadly misquote, and it's one of Tigger's. And it goes, it doesn't matter how fast you run or how high you jump. It's all about how well you bounce. You know, a great resilience line from a Zebedee of a Tigger. So look to Winnie the Pooh if things get tough. That is wonderful. <laughs> the accidental philosophy of A.A. A. Milne. What a brilliant uh, recommendation, Penny. Thank you. My final question really is a piece of advice to your former self. Take us back to wherever you'd like to on your journey. 
and um, say something to your former self. Penny, what would you say? I, I would go back to my probably late teen self. All the advantages and none of the disadvantages that Ivan has had to sort of endure. And yet as a late teenager, and I see this in lots of young women in particular, you're sort of racked with self-doubt. And I would just say, I would just say to myself, kind of get on with it. What's the risk? Just go for it. It's brilliant advice. And I just wonder, <clears throat> forgive me, this is against the spirit of my quickfire round, but I just wonder the extent to which those calm, confident, encouraging words could make a difference to someone in that position or whether the transformation needs to be more experiential. No, I, I think it makes a difference. So I um, I failed a year at university. I'd love to say I'd parted hard all year and had a great time, but it was nothing so glamorous as that. I just got lost, I think is the best description. And I failed a year and was very low at the end of it. Um, and I remember one of my friend's mothers, who was a very senior doctor um, in Somerset at the time, and she just looked at me one day and I was in my sort of, you know, the world has come to the end because I failed an exam mode. And she just said, oh, yeah, I failed a year. Yeah, just retake. And somebody who had achieved so much, in my view, the realisation that people have hiccups on the way um, was just incredibly powerful. Um, she won't ever remember that she said that. To me, it was transformational in that moment. I think that is so powerful. And I speak as someone who briefly attended two universities. Um, and uh, I think understanding someone's been through something is life-changing sometimes, isn't it? Ivan, where are you taking us back to? What advice do you have to that younger Ivan? It's kind of similar things that, to echo what Penny was saying about, um, don't worry about things too much. I go back to when I was late teens, early twenties, and literally just at the cusp of my potential and trying to figure things out. And the main thing I'll say is don't be too hard on yourself. You're young, you got time to learn, and life is all about gradual improvement. You don't have to be there or get it straight away it's a continual process to being the best person you can be excellent thank you ivan and uh, just a very brief plug we know exactly where to find direct line but spieler s-p-i-e-l-a we will check it out for now thank you so much ivan kaima and penny james thank you for joining me on the lens thank you very much thank you thank you ollie you've been listening to the lens with me ollie barrett the lens is a business in the community podcast powered by Fujitsu and supported by McCann. If you like what you've heard, then please rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps and makes a difference. Thank you. Also, we're on Instagram at The Lens Podcast or on the Business in the Community website. The Lens is produced and directed by Aurelia Salitzketa, music and editing by Giselle Hall and Will Francis, and our executive producer is Sergio Lopez. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.